gospel. Amen. Thank you, Josh and worship ministry for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 is where we will be um, this morning as we are continuing our sermon, a series through the book of Acts. And we've titled uh, this section of Acts, we've called it Amazing Boldness. And we're looking at the spread of the gospel. And for those of you who may be uh, new to our church or just joining us recently, we've been, we've been in the book of Acts since uh, 2002. 13, and uh, we actually started it last year in the spring of last year, and we'll finish it here pretty soon. But uh, the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts is the story of the early believers who were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and who became the witnesses for Jesus to share the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of, of the world. And so we've been uh, tracking their story, and the author of uh, this a book of Acts is Luke, and all throughout this journey of the spread of the gospel, uh, Luke stops every now and then, and he gives us a story. He gives us a story so that we can learn uh, from the early believers' example of what to do, of what not to do, of, of how to share the gospel, maybe not how to share the gospel, but, but he tells us these stories. And so we come here to Acts chapter 15, and this here, verse uh, chapter 15, this is one of the most epic moments in the New Testament. This is an epic moment. Everybody knows what an epic moment is, right? It's a moment that is a remarkable event that, that, changes, that changes the course of history or maybe changes the direction of your own life. It reminds me of the epic moment I had the night that I scored 35 points in the Royal Ambassadors Basketball Tournament. I was 12, the opposing team was eight years old, it did not matter, I dominated. It was epic, it was an epic moment. Well here, in Acts chapter 15, we have an epic moment. Things change, change in the good. Uh, for us as believers and change for the early church. But, but this change comes about through the first major conflict in the early church. How many of you here absolutely love conflicts? Well, this story is, this is for you because this is the story of a really, really big conflict. This is a really big problem here in Acts chapter 15. Uh, this is such a big problem. Um, it is significant that if the early church does not answer this correctly, it will derail the mission of the church. And that's the same for you and I. If, if as we read this, you're gonna see, but if the early church answered it differently, we would be in a completely different situation today. This is an epic moment. Now, I will tell you this, that uh, in my study, in my research for this, uh, for this text, um, I have found that not many preachers like to preach on this text uh, because it's a hard text. It's a, it's a difficult text, and it's, it's really about a church business meeting that has gone wild. Wow, y'all had some responses to that, huh? This is a church business meeting that has gone, that has gone wild. And it's a, it's a tough passage. Um, it is, um, it's a theological debate. 
Um, some people would probably uh, scan over this, think, oh, well, theological debates, that's boring, or that's only for uh, brainiacs. But no, this here, this is a big deal. This is an epic moment for you and I. This is a big moment because this text, this passage, it is going to answer a theological question that we have to answer every single day and that we have to fight for in the spread of the gospel, especially when we're sharing it with our families, when we're sharing it with our friends, we have to stand up for theological truth. And here we get it because here's the question that's going to be answered. Are we saved by grace or by works? Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? Well, this is going to be fun. Amen? Well, you follow along with me. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen. The words are behind me, but let's read this together. And it begins, Some men came down from Judea, and they began teaching the brothers, or brethren. The brethren is believers in Christ. And it says this, Some men came down from Judea, they began teaching, and they said this, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders concerning this issue. I want you to write this down in your notes or in uh, your Bible in the margins, write this down. Uh, there's a fight at the local church. That's what we see here. There's a big debate. There's some dissension. Now you know that there have been some great battles in history. The Battle of Gettysburg. Um, you have the Battle of Bloody Marsh here on St. Simon's Island. You have the gunfight at the OK Corral. Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. There's been some great battles. This is a great battle. This is a great debate. As a matter of fact, um, there was a picture taken of this great debate. I think it's right here, I think. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, that, that's the picture of this great, great debate. And so, so let me just set this up for you. There were... As you know, in the book of Acts, this is in the early uh, stages, early age of Christianity. And the first Christians were Jews. Now, what do we know about Jews? We know that they were, they were raised, they were taught on the Old Testament, on the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they followed closely to the law. And one of the most important Jewish laws was that every male had to be circumcised. And this has been all throughout Jewish history. And this circumcision, it was a sign from God. It was a God-given sign to separate the people of God from the world. And so on this stage, as the gospel of Jesus spreads across uh, the world, it comes in contact with the Jewish uh, belief system of obeying the law, of following circumcision. And so here in verse number one, we see that these Jewish Christians, they come to the church at Antioch. Now remember, you had basically two churches at this time. You had the one in Jerusalem, 
And then you have the one in Antioch. Antioch has been the base, the home base for Paul and Barnabas' mission journey. So here in this new church in Antioch, these new Jewish believers come in and they say this, listen, you can't be saved outside of being circumcised. Meaning this, you have to obey the law Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you have to obey the law completely in order to be saved. Now, how do you think Paul and Barnabas responded to those words? Our text tells us. It says there was great dissension. Uh, that Greek word for great is mega. There was major discussion going on. And Paul and Barnabas rightly argued against circumcision equaling salvation. But here's a problem, especially when it comes to conflict. You know this, you've been in this. When you get into an argument or you get into debate or you get into some dissension, it doesn't matter. A lot of times it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Sometimes you just keep arguing what? For argument's sake, right? You just keep going on. And Paul and Barnabas are telling them about, about the grace of God. And the Judaizers, who are the Jewish Christians, they keep saying, no, 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 no. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And this thing, this brouhaha got so big that the church at Antioch said, hey, guys, stop. Stop. We, we need to calm down. And then they said to Paul and Barnabas, said, listen, let's go to Jerusalem. Go up to Jerusalem, that's where all the apostles, where the rest of the apostles are, that's where the elders are in the Jerusalem church. Let's go there and let's, let's get their input on this matter because, because how we answer this determines whether or not we continue our mission, right? It, it matters, the answer to that question. And so Paul and Barnabas um, have been sent from the church in Antioch. They go back up to Jerusalem. And it wasn't a small journey. It was about 300 miles. And they walk. It take about a month to get back up to Jerusalem. Well, let's pick up the story in verse number 4. Verse number 4, it says this, When they, that's Paul and Barnabas, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they, Paul and Barnabas, reported all that God had done with them. Now stop there. Now what had God been doing through Paul and Barnabas? Now remember this, that in Acts 13 and Acts 14, this is Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. You remember, they left Antioch, they sailed across to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, the home of Barnabas, and they share the gospel. And great and mighty things happen on the island of Cyprus. Gentiles uh, get saved. They, they follow Jesus. And they meet one man. You remember the story? Um, they meet one man and says, will you go to my home up in Turkey, a modern-day Turkey, and tell my family about Jesus? And so Paul and Barnabas, they leave Cyprus. They go up to modern-day Turkey. They go into the synagogues where all the Jews are, and they share the gospel. And Gentiles pray to receive Christ. Some Jews pray to receive Christ. They even heal a lame man. And you know what they get for all of that? The Jews kick them out of the cities. But God does some amazing things through Paul and through Barnabas. And if you look back in Acts 14, it says this, that the Gentiles were overjoyed that the gospel came to them. Well, let's keep reading verse number five. 
So Paul and Barnabas are telling all the good things that God has done in verse number five, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, that's Judaizers, that's Jews who became believers, but who still believed in keeping the Old Testament and obeying the Old Testament law and keeping it to a T, they stand up and they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And I just want you to stop there for just a second. And I just want you to get the picture. And several of you, uh, just a few minutes ago, when I said this was a uh, church business meeting that went wild, how many of you have ever been in a wild church business meeting? Let me see your hands. Oh boy, yes. Yeah, quite a few. Well, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening here. And I want you to get the picture. Paul and Barnabas are standing up in front of the church. They're missionaries. They're telling the great stories of redemption. They're telling the stories of how lives have been changed. They're telling the stories of how a lame man has been healed. They're telling the story how the gospel is spreading through the Gentile people, and they're telling all the great things that, that God has done through them, and then all of a sudden, the Travis Kelseys of the world stand up. <laughs> and they come screaming at Paul and Barnabas. Do you get the picture? They stand up in the middle of a celebratory service. And they confront Paul and Barnabas with a very negative and condescending question. And the question that they say to them is this, well, didn't you tell them to be circumcised? Because that's what they have to do. Did you tell them to be circumcised? And you can almost hear in their voice the anger, the disbelief, and the frustration. Now, I want you to notice, notice what these Judaizers, the sect of the Pharisees, notice what they did not do. Notice they do not rejoice over the salvations of those who have been lost. Notice that they do not rejoice over people being healed from a physical disease. Notice they don't rejoice over God showing signs and wonders to reveal who he is to a people who don't know him. Notice they offer no praise. Notice they don't even encourage Paul and Barnabas. Don't, don't you, they, they don't even say, Paul and Barnabas, thank you for taking the message to those who so desperately need to hear the news of Jesus. They don't do that. Instead, they nitpick. And church, I, I, I just want to say this, that too often we as the church generally, not referencing us specifically, too many times we get into the nitpicking business. 
and we're not celebrating enough. I know that there are many ministries that operate outside of our church. And there are ministries that operate outside of Southern Baptist life. I get that. I understand that. But when those ministries who we may not 100% agree with, are you with me? We may not agree on certain things. We may not agree in, in this and that and that and that, but we may agree on the major things. Listen, when other ministries or other churches or other denominations, when they lead people to Jesus and lives are changed based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, church, we celebrate. We celebrate. We rejoice with lives that are being changed. We don't have to always agree on minor issues. But what we do agree upon are the majors. And the major is this, Jesus Christ alone brings salvation. Amen? Amen. So church, let's not be a nitpicker. Amen? Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a nitpicker. <laughs> Amen. Well, look at verse number six. Look at verse number six. So apparently this nitpicking had, had, had gone on so much that other people had to get involved. Look at verse 6. And so the apostles and the elders, they came together to look into this matter. Again, what's the issue? The issue is it's salvation. How can you be saved? How are you saved? Are you saved by works? Are you saved by circumcision? Or are you saved by some other way? Verse number 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to the crowd now again picture this everybody's there this is a who's who of all Christendom everybody's there and Peter stands up Peter likes to stand up and talk doesn't he this just makes perfect sense and Peter stands up and he says to them brothers you know that in early days God made a choice among you that by, the that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter saying, listen, God gave to me the ministry to the Gentiles. I went and told Cornelius about Jesus. Cornelius accepts Jesus in his entire household, accepts Jesus, and they're all baptized. I told the Gentiles about the gospel. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. In verse 9, and he, God, made no distinction between us and them, meaning there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now, therefore, why do you Judaizers, you who keep the law and who make the law priority, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What is Peter saying? What Peter is saying is this. Peter says, listen, I'm a Jew. I understand the law. As a matter of fact, Peter probably said this, that um, uh, he probably said something like this. There are 613 laws that the Jew must keep. 613. 
And one of them is the discussion is circumcision, but the other 612, according to Jews, they had to keep that perfectly. And that was their salvation, to keep the law. That if you did the law perfectly without messing up, then you would be saved in their mind. You kept the law. And you can almost hear Peter saying, listen, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been able to keep the law. Right? I, I, I can't keep the law. I was, you can hear Peter saying, I was born a Jew, but I can't even keep all the law straight. Like, like how far can I walk on a Sabbath day? That was one of the requirements. They could only walk so, so far. And I'm sure Peter said, man, I don't even know what type of meat I can eat or what I can't eat. Because there were certain uh, dietary restrictions. Um, there, were, there were certain fabrics that a Jew could not wear. Like, like men could not wear yoga pants. That was what it says in the Old Testament law. <laughs> Amen? Man, if you show up to steak night wearing yoga pants, <laughs> you are not saved. That's what that means. <laughs> but you can almost hear Peter saying, guys, listen, no matter how hard I try to keep the law, I could never measure up. Does that sound a lot like some of us? I just am not good enough. I can't, I can't keep the law. I can't, I can't do it. Have you ever felt that way before? I am not good enough. I can't even keep the things that I've been asked to keep. I can't do it. And you can almost see Peter. You can almost see him scanning the crowd, looking at the other disciples, saying, Matthew, how about you? Matthew, you, I mean, you agree with me, right? Yeah. Bartholomew, you, you agree with me, right? We can't, I can't keep the law. Can you, I can't keep the law. Thaddeus, how about, I see you in the back, Thaddeus. Can, can you keep the law? Thaddeus, no, I can't keep the law. I can't do it. I've tried. Paul, how about you? You're the Jew of all Jews. Paul, can you, Paul, can you keep the law? You can almost see Paul going, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. And then our text, Peter then says to everybody, and especially to those Judaizers who says this, that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. He says to the Judaizers, he basically says this, if we as Jews cannot keep the law, we can't do it, then why would we put that burden on the Gentiles? Because they can't keep it either. You know why? Because God saves us as Jews and those as Gentiles in the same way. There's no difference. And look what he says in verse 11. This is so good. In verse 11, he says, but we, but we believers in Christ, we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are. And I love verse 12. And he says, all the people kept silent. 
You could have heard the proverbial pin drop when Peter spoke those words. Can't you just see it? And they all kept silent. I just want you to remember this, that in this church business meeting that has gone wild, and by the way, when, when a church business meeting goes wild, it is hard to calm it down. But Peter did it. And let me tell you why. Well, I believe Peter did this, and I think this is so important for us to know, and this is where we're going to end up going for the rest of the message, is that when, is that when Peter stood up, everybody knows Peter. Right? Everybody knows Peter. Now, you and I, we read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and when they list all the disciples, 1, 2, 3, 4, 12, the first one is always Peter. He's the first. He's the first disciple. Of all the disciples, nobody speaks more than Peter. That's why he's been identified as a disciple who has foot-in-mouth disease. That's Peter. They know this. But we also know that, and they know this, that Jesus spoke to Peter more so than any other disciple in the scriptures. They know this. There was no one as bold as Peter. The disciples are out on the boat and they see, out on the Sea of Galilee, and they see Jesus walking. And what does Peter boldly say? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk. And you can see the other disciples, don't do it, Peter. <laughs> don't, don't do it. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and he starts walking on water. No other disciple did that. Nobody else did that. There's only one other person in all of creation who ever walked on water. His name is Jesus. And Peter said, man, if you could do it, I could do it. And then he sank. But, you know, <laughs> at least he stepped out of the boat. And all those in that first business meeting, they knew that. They knew that. There was nobody as bold as Peter. But there also... No one interfered with Jesus more so than Peter. Nobody got in the way of Jesus more so than Peter. Do you remember this story about Peter when it's the end of Jesus' life and, and, J and Peter said this, he said, he said Jesus, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never leave your side. And what does Jesus say? Peter, before the rooster crows, You will deny me. Oh, no, 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 no. Weeks earlier to that, Jesus and the disciples are walking on their way to Jerusalem from Caesarea Philippi, and, and Jesus begins to tell the disciples for the first time, hey, guys, I... I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over to the authorities and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Do you remember what Peter said? He said, no, I will never let that happen to you. And you know what Jesus said to Peter? 
Get behind me, Satan. Wow. Everybody knew that. When Peter stood up to speak, everybody knew that about Peter. Everybody knew that he was impulsive. Everybody knew that he was uh, decisive, that he was, that he was uh, enthusiastic. Everybody knew that he was, that he was emotional. Everybody knew that, that Peter, man, he, he just, he was unaware of his weaknesses. Everybody knew that. Peter's the guy, when, when, when Peter walks into the room, you know that Peter is there. You know it. And everybody knows that of all the disciples whom Jesus mentored and disciple, of all the disciples, there was one disciple who needed major restoration after a failure. And his name was Peter. And everybody knew that. You remember the story. Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Jesus is arrested. He's taken away, and Peter, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Even cusses out a young girl saying, I don't know who he is. You get off me. You leave me alone. And after that third time, that rooster crowed. And do you remember what Scripture says? Do you remember? It's that Peter and Jesus locked eyes. Oh, Oh, the failure, the failure. And Peter was a broken man. He was crushed. He was devastated. Jesus arrested, beaten, tried, and crucified. Where was Peter? He fled. He went back to Galilee. He went back to fishing because he was so distraught. Everybody knew that. But then on that third day when Jesus rose from the dead, do you remember one of the first things that Jesus said to those who saw him? Do you know what Jesus said? He said, you go tell Peter. You go tell Peter that I'm alive. You go tell him. And in John chapter 21, you read of Jesus restoring Peter and showing him grace. Everybody knew that. Go back to verse 11. And Peter said, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Peter preached and taught a message of grace. And Peter says this, there's one way for salvation. And it's through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not through the keeping the law. You can't. 
which means nobody in this room, you can't be perfect. You're not perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, I told you so. (laughs) You can't be perfect. Let me quickly, as, 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 as I want to wrap this up. Are y'all, are y'all with me this morning? I just want to close with, with what grace means. And I want to use the acronym of grace, the word grace, acronym G-R-A-C-E, just to tell you what grace means. What Peter was preaching, and then about salvation, where salvation comes from. There may be somebody here this morning that you don't fully understand salvation. And you've tried for a really, really, really long time to get there by your own works. I'm just going to tell you, just stop. It's not going to work. So what is grace? The letter G in grace stands for this. Grace is a gift of God. It is a gift from God. Peter knew that. Peter experienced that. Paul, who was at this at this wild church business meeting, later would write. In Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, he would say these words, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All. All. Everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says this, But we are freely justified. We're freely justified by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Meaning this, the salvation, which means a rescuing from your sin, meaning, meaning you must be rescued from your sin because you are a sinner. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sins. You are a sinner who has no relationship with the Heavenly Father. But God, through His Son, has freely justified those based upon your belief in who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross. Grace is a gift from God. And I bring this up because if you were to go around and ask, I don't know, 50 to 100 people, you would ask them this question, how do you get to heaven? You're going to get a lot of different answers. Amen? But the number one answer, or you can basically summarize it this way, is this. Well, if I'm good enough... I'll go there. Or, or you'll get something like this. Well, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then, then I will, it'll all balance out and, and, and I'm going to get to go to heaven. Or, or, or you'll get a question or an answer like this. Say, are you going to go to heaven? You'll get this, I, I, I hope so. Now, church, I want to be, I be honest and transparent with you. I've been your pastor for 10 years and I've asked many of you, I've asked many in the Golden Isles about their salvation. And I've asked many people in the church about their salvation. And church, can I tell you what one of the top answers I receive? I get this, man, I sure hope so. I hope so. It breaks my heart. Because you can know 
You can know. Church, believer, listen to me, please. If you don't get anything, get this. You can know for sure whether or not you're going to spend eternity in heaven. You can know. It's not a, well, I wish or I hope. No. It's you can know. But if you are basing your faith upon your works, I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to get there. If you are basing um, your eternity on the good things that you have done, you will not spend eternity with Jesus based upon your good works. It doesn't work that way. You can't keep the law. And scripture says the law has been placed upon our hearts, meaning you know that when you do something wrong, everybody does that. God has placed that within our hearts. Well, what about the atheist? The atheist knows that they're wrong as well, but they have so suppressed the truth that they try to push it away and they reject it. Listen, God has placed right and wrong in everybody's heart. You know when you are doing wrong. You know it. And because of that, God says, listen, I want to give you the gift of grace. Many of us have been Peters in our lives, right? You've denied. You can't keep your commitments. You've done foolish things. And Jesus says, I offer you grace. And so the G in grace stands for it is a gift of God. The letter R stands for, but it must be received by faith. It is God's gift. Grace is God's gift, but also it must be received by faith. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it is for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You must receive it by faith. And this is why Jesus would say in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he'd say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. How many of you, how many of you growing up, this was, this was in my life as well, how many of you growing up uh, on the doors of your home had two doors? Anybody have two doors, like a screen door and then a wooden door? Anybody, anybody have that? Yeah, we had that in West Texas, that screen doors to keep all the sand out. Here in Southeast Georgia, it keeps the sand gnats out, something like that. But, but what, the, what the Judaizers were doing, those who said you have to be circumcised, what they were saying is there were two doors. The first you got to open up that screen door. And that screen door, according to works, is circumcision. That if you are good enough, then maybe that gains you entry into eternity. And that's what they're saying. But that's not how it works. It's received by faith. There is one door. His name is Jesus, and you must walk through that door. Grace is God's gift. It must, receive, it must be received by faith. And the letter A it stands for this. It is available to everybody. It is available to everyone. Grace does not play favorites. Grace is available to every single person. 
Paul would write in Romans, he says this, therefore the promise has come by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Grace is available to you. Doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter the the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your job. Listen, it doesn't matter if you come to church every Sunday, Sunday, uh, Wednesday, it doesn't matter. Grace is available to you. And maybe there's somebody here today that you need, to, you need to receive that grace and you've never thought that that grace is available to me. And maybe there's somebody here who says, no, Pastor, you don't understand, I'm too far gone. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the depths of sin that I've been living in or the bondage that I'm living in. And you don't know, Pastor, listen, I may not know the depths of your sin, but I know the depth of my Savior's love for you. And he wants to be your rescuer. And he's given you a gift. But you've got to receive it because it's available to you. And the letter C stands for this, grace comes through Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. Salvation can be found in no other name under heaven. Nobody. Salvation, grace, cannot come through Muhammad. Grace, salvation, does not come through Buddha. Grace, salvation, it does not come through uh, mental enlightenment. Uh, grace, salvation, does not come from, from uh, the things that you do. It only comes through Jesus Christ. It does not come through circumcision that we discovered here in Acts chapter 15. It doesn't come through circumcision. Do you know why grace comes through Christ? Because he paid the penalty of your sin. He bought your ticket. He bought your ticket that rescued you, rescued you out of the grips of hell, out of the grips of sin, and he bought you a ticket to enter into eternity for all, all, all the time there ever is to be with him. He bought your ticket. Nobody else has ever done that. Nobody's done that. Buddha, dead. He did not die for you. Muhammad, dead. He did not die for you. Jesus, alive. He died for you. And so you have to come through Christ. And then the letter E, and we close with this, is that grace can be enjoyed now and for all eternity. Grace can be enjoyed now. Do you remember, do you remember the story uh, of, a, of a woman caught in adultery? Do y'all remember this story? There's a lady who's caught in adultery um, and they bring her to Jesus. Why they didn't bring the man to Jesus, I don't know, but they just brought the woman. And they bring this woman to Jesus and these Men say to Jesus, she's broken the law, and the law says that you must stone her. They're trying to trap Jesus. And so all these men have these stones ready to stone this woman. 
And Jesus, you remember this? He bends down and he draws something in the sand. And then Jesus says these words. He says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Wow. You know what happened next? All those men just kind of put the stone down and just began to walk away. They walked away until there was only Jesus and this woman who was broken. And you can almost see Jesus is coming down beside her. Just having a conversation with her. You can almost see him lean over to her and say, he said, woman, where are those who accuse you? And you can imagine, she's, her head is down like this, hair falling down, tears in her eyes, and she kind of looks up and kind of looks around. She says, sir, they're not, they're, not, they're not here. And then Jesus, with a smile on his face, said, neither do I condemn you. But then he says some amazing words to her. Do you remember what he said? Go and sin no more. <sighs> Folks, many times for us who experience grace, we think it's a license to sin. It's a license to do whatever we think we can do. Folks, grace calls you to a higher standard of life. Because it cost his life. And he wants you to live for him. I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with Christ. But if you have never come to Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, if you have never repented of your sins and by faith received his mercy and grace, I beg you today, come to Jesus. I said, Pastor, how do I do that? How, how do I do that? Well, it's just, just be honest with the Lord. Just in a moment with him right now, you can do it right now, you can talk to him, you know. He hears your thoughts. And you can just tell him right now, say, Lord, I, I'm so desperate. I've tried it my own way and I'm sorry that it doesn't work. Will you please come and save me and be my savior? And the Bible says when you do that, that salvation and grace has come your way. And if that's you this morning and you've made that decision, and I or other pastors would love to hear from you, here in a moment we're gonna stand and sing. You can come to the altar, you come and talk to me. Britain will be here as well. Or you can even go on your smartphone and, and text us but we want to know. There may, be, there may be other people here today that maybe you've been more in a situation like Peter. You've been trapped. You've been foolish. And you and Jesus have locked eyes and you've been convicted. 
that's you, know this. Jesus loves you so much. And he does not bring condemnation upon you, but he brings mercy and grace and love upon you. And so maybe you need to receive that this morning. And if that's you, what I will tell you to do this morning is just simply just tell him, Lord, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I'm struggling. Would you just, would you forgive me? And then let his mercy and grace fall upon you. And Peter said these words, for it is by grace that we are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, I pray that people would respond to you. And I pray that grace upon grace would just overwhelm us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.